This morning, I want to actually start this sermon off with something you're probably not really expecting. I want to ask you guys a question. How do you know that there are penguins in Antarctica? (laughs) No, seriously. How do you know that there are penguins in Antarctica? I mean, has anyone here ever been to Antarctica to see the penguins, to hear them, to touch them? I'm going to guess that nobody here has. Yet we still believe that penguins exist there. And that's because people have told us that. We've seen videos, we've read textbooks, and we've had people teach us that there are penguins in Antarctica. And because of that, we believe that they're there. In the same way, our Bibles tell us about Jesus. And John, in this letter, he's kind of like somebody who's seen penguins. He's experienced Jesus up front. He's seen him, he's heard him, and he's touched him. And as Christians, we believe what the writers of the Bible write. We believe what the Bible has to say about Jesus. We believe in the miracles, we believe in the relationships, and we believe that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected. As Christians, that's what we believe. But we also live in a world that is utterly confused about Jesus. We ask all kinds of questions, like, how did everything get created? Or what is right and what is wrong? Or perhaps one of the most controversial questions that we ask, who am I? All of these questions can only be properly answered through knowing Jesus. Yet, for some reason, we try to come up with our own answers. And these mad main answers are what we're taught. It's what our society tells us. We're told about the Big Bang creating the world. We're taught that believing in God, that's not for intelligent people. We're taught that there's no such thing as universal truth. I can believe what I want to believe, and as long as that's my truth, you have no right to tell me that I'm wrong. We're taught that who we are Who we are is totally up to us. We can be whoever or whatever we want to be. Has anyone here ever been confused? Has anybody here ever questioned? Have you asked, is the Bible even true? Or is there a God? Maybe you've wondered, was Jesus really who he said he is? Or does God really love me? But then, have there been moments when you've felt confused or you've struggled, and suddenly you get, you get this phone ding or an email comes up on your computer, and, and you read it, and it's a friend saying, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm praying for you today. Know that God loves you in this time. And isn't that letter or that message or that email just so uplifting? Doesn't that just give us such a boost? Friends, If I can be honest with you today, when I've been preparing the sermon, when I've been writing it, when I've been editing it, I felt very discouraged. I felt like I'm weak, like I'm not good enough to be here. I have no right to tell you how to live. And I've gone to God and I've said, Lord, why have you put me here? Surely there's better people to preach your word. I just feel so lost. 
And then a few days ago, Leanne wrote up a little note and sent it to me. And it said, hey, I just want to let you know that I love you and I'm praying for you today as you edit your sermon. I know you've had a rough day, but you'll make it work. Just remember to be in prayer as you write and that I love you. <laughs> and this message, it was so uplifting. It helped me to continue to write. It helped me to continue to press on with the sermon, even when I was discouraged. And the reason I've told you all this is because this feeling of confusion, this feeling of questioning, is what the churches that John is writing to would have felt. See, there were a lot of false teachers going around, teaching them a different message than what they had heard, a different gospel. These churches that John writes to, they would have faced a lot of mixed messaging, just like we do today. And John the Apostle writes this letter to a group of churches because he wants to assure them. He wants them to know about the truth. He wants them to know about Jesus and the, the life that they have. He gives us his purpose for writing in 1 John 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He writes to true Christians so that they may know, that they may know that the message they've heard is true. So my hope and prayer for this sermon today is that this can kind of be like that ding. It can be like that email that pops up. If you're struggling, that you can know the truth about Jesus, that you can know that if you're in him, if you're a Christian, that you have life. I hope that you'll be reminded about who Jesus is and how we can joyfully live loving each other. So let's read the word of the Lord this morning. Would you, would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, we, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. As we go through this text today, we're going to see that the main point is this. The main point is knowing Jesus leads to loving relationships and complete joy. That knowing Jesus leads to loving relationships and complete joy. And we're going to break up this main point into four others. We're going to start by looking at verses 1 and 2, where we'll notice that we can know Jesus. And we'll also realize what it means to know Jesus. Then in verse 3, we'll talk about how knowing Jesus leads to loving fellowship. And then in verse 4, how knowing Jesus leads to complete joy. So starting in verse 1, we see John is talking about the word of life, which was from the beginning. The word that John is speaking here is Jesus. Jesus is the word of life. And like the intro to John's gospel, the book that Pastor Steve is preaching through, John tells us that the word is from the beginning of time. 
And not only is he from the beginning, but Jesus was God, and all things were made through him. In his gospel, John, John starts it like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is important to point out for two reasons, because there's two things that John wants us, his readers, to know. He wants us to know that Jesus was God. And he wants us also to know that Jesus was a man. John tells us about how he's seen Jesus, how he's heard him, and how he's touched him. And he means all of this literally. Just like we did that handshakey bit earlier in the service, how we got around, we, we saw each other, we heard each other, we, we shook each other's hand. That's, that's what John would have done with Jesus. That's how real Jesus was. And see, because Jesus was a man, because he was God, or is God, we can know him. But there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him personally. See, we have a group of guys here from Alberta. You, you might have met them earlier. They're sitting up here in the front. And I'm sure they knew about Newfoundland before they came here. They probably would have known that we're the most easterly province. They might have heard about our weather. They would have known about Newfoundland. But now that they're here, they get to experience it. They're getting to meet Newfoundlanders. They're getting to eat fish and chips for breakfast, lunch, and supper every day. <laughs> And they're getting to see the beauty of the city. From the view of Signal Hill to the view of Cape Spear, they're getting to see the beauty that's here. And they're also getting to see the downsides. You know, it's not very nice out today. But not only that, they also get to see the even worse downsides of the alcoholism as they can walk down George Street. See, they're here and they're getting to know Newfoundland. They're getting to experience it, not just know about it. And just like they can come and know Newfoundland, how they can experience it, we can know Jesus. We can experience him. And that's the first point. We can know Jesus. And don't miss the relational relationship aspect of this. John was one of Jesus' closest followers. He would have been his disciple. John would have laughed with him. John would have cried with him. John would have eaten many meals. John would have been taught by Jesus. And by the Gospels, we also know that John was even rebuked by Jesus. Just take a moment now to try and think of a close friend. Someone who you love to spend time with. Someone who you have spent a lot of time with. Someone who loves you enough that they'll look out for your best interests. Even if that comes in the form of saying, I love you, but I think you're wrong. You need to change this. That's not right. Maybe for you, this, this might be your mom. might be your dad. Maybe it's a sibling or even somebody sitting in the pew next to you. For me, I think of my brother, I, my brother Nathan. He's even here today. He's, he's back from BC. And over the years, we've spent a lot of time together. It's been really good. We love spending time with each other. We've, we've laughed. We've cried. We've played so many video games, and it's been great. We, we love spending time together, and that's awesome. I mean, I, I really love video games, but 
What I'm really grateful for with Nathan is that even when I am struggling, I can go to him and he'll give me advice. He'll point me to Jesus and he'll care for me. He'll love me enough to tell me the truth, even if that's not what I want to hear. And this is that same sort of relationship that Jesus and John would have had. The same Jesus who is the word of life, the same Jesus who is God, John had a close personal relationship with him, just as we have close relationships with each other. So when we get to verse 2, and John starts talking about testifying and proclaiming Jesus, he proclaims life, John has that authority to do so because he's got the real, raw relationship with him to know him. <laughs> Remember that weird penguin question that, that I asked you guys at the beginning? We know and believe that there are penguins in Antarctica because of how the people have told us. We believe their experiences of seeing, of hearing, and touching the penguins. Just like that, we can believe John when, he's, when he says he knows Jesus, when he describes Jesus as life because that's the truth. And here's our second point. Knowing Jesus means having life. Knowing Jesus means having life. And life here is, means spiritual life. As Christians, we're going to die. I'm going to die. I'm not going to be on this earth forever. My physical body will perish but I know that I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus. I know that I'm going to be in heaven someday. And being a Christian and knowing Jesus, that means having a relationship with him now. That means putting your trust in him. It means following his commands. It means loving him. It means living your life for him. And why we do all this is because Jesus loves us far more than we could ever imagine. And friends, we can know that as Christians we have life by reflecting on how Jesus has changed us. Because when you become a Christian, your life is transformed. It's just like marriage. Me and Leanne, we're getting married next month and I'm super excited. But when that happens... My life, Leanne's life, it's going to be radically different. It's going to be transformed. We're going to have made vows to love each other for the rest of our lives. And that means that we're going to have to look out for each other. It means we're going to have to sacrifice things for each other. We're going to have to fight our selfish desires. I might not be able to put my 10 coffee machines on the kitchen counter. <laughs> At least not until we get a bigger kitchen. See, the same way that marriage transforms your life, so does Jesus. He is the living God, which means he is real. Jesus wasn't just a historical figure. He was that, but that's not all that he was. He is God, and Jesus lives. And we can know this through how he changes us. As Christians, we can look back on our life, and we can tell how Jesus has changed us. We can see the points that have been radically different since we know him. Calvary, be assured in the life that you have in Jesus. He is the living God and he loves you. 
And let's not be a church that's only assured of this, but let's be a church that proclaims this. We have life. We need to be sharing this message to our city. John says that because Jesus was revealed, because he was made manifest, that they testify and that they proclaim. So church, Jesus has been revealed to us. Let us be a people that tells our city about him, about the life that we have. In verse 3, John tells us the purpose for this. He tells us the reason that we proclaim. He says that the purpose is fellowship. And fellowship is a close community that's united by something. Fellowship is a close community that is united by something. What John's fellowship and community is around is Jesus. This is the key to knowing real fellowship versus fake fellowship. Fellowship isn't just going out to chesses with your friends. That's community, and that's, that's part of fellowship, but that's not fellowship in its completion. True biblical fellowship is always grounded in Christ. It's united by Jesus. The foundation of community, the foundation of the relationships within that community need to be, the foundation needs to be Jesus. And what the real relationships within this community look like, it's, it's real friendships. It's friendships like what John and Jesus would have had. It's friendships like that, what me and Nathan do have. And contradictory to what social media says about love, real friendship means loving each other, and that's not just affirming each other. Think about Jesus and John. They didn't always see eye to eye. There were many times where Jesus rebuked his disciples. But don't miss that that was okay. Because Jesus knew them, and the disciples knew that Jesus loved them. When Jesus told the disciples they were wrong, it was out of love. And his disciples trusted him to know that he was looking out for their best interests. They knew that Jesus loved them enough to point them in the direction that they should go. Leanne and I are best friends. I've spent enough time with her to know her, and I know I can trust her. And one of the things I love about Leanne is her honesty. She'll tell me how she feels and what the truth is, regardless if I want to hear it or I don't. And I know that she does that because she loves me. But I can remember a specific instance when I was at TGC this past April. I got to meet John Piper. And, and that was pretty cool. Like, I got to shake John Piper's hand. I got to talk with him, tell him about union. I got to tell him about how his ministry, God has used that to bless me. And it was awesome. I really liked it. And naturally, after talking with Pastor John, I, um, I messaged Leanne. And I said, hey, I just met John Piper. Isn't this cool? And then she responded, So? He's just a dude who wrote a book about Jesus. <laughs> and, and in that moment, I probably wanted Leanne to be a little bit more excited. I mean, I probably wanted her to at least say, oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, no, it was just so. <laughs> but the, the point of this is that in that response, in that honest answer, she reminded me that I shouldn't idolize this dude. 
even if that is John Piper. I shouldn't idolize him. And she loved me through that response. Church, this is what our community should look like. We should be a community full of loving relationships. And we can know what a true loving relationship looks like by looking at the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. The point here is that knowing Jesus leads to loving fellowship. And that's the third point. Knowing Jesus leads to loving fellowship. And we can see this point in our text if we look at the general flow of it. Our text starts with with we. John and the apostles, it says, we heard, we saw, we touched. But then it moves to you. It says, we proclaim to you, we also proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship. And then it moves from you to us and to our, so that you may have fellowship with us. We write these things so that our joy may be complete. So the point, the point that's drawn out here is that through the apostles knowing Jesus, that led to proclamation and then fellowship. Knowing Jesus leads to fellowship. What John is doing here is reminding him of this. He wants them to know that their fellowship is with God. It's with the Father, and it's with his Son, Jesus Christ. He tells them that real fellowship comes from knowing Jesus. It's true fellowship that's united around Christ, trying to live and love like him. He wants these churches to remain in that fellowship. He doesn't want them to leave and join the false community that the false teachers have. But what John is not doing here, he's not telling them that they need to be saved. They already are. John isn't writing this because these churches lost their salvation. This is written to assure them of their life in Christ. It's written so that they may know. See, fellowship is not salvation. It's an outcome of salvation. Just because somebody hangs out with Christians, just because somebody comes to church, that doesn't make them a Christian. Becoming a Christian means putting your trust in Christ alone. And once you've done that, once you've put your trust in Jesus, once you have life, that's when you can enter in to these loving relationships that are centered around Jesus. Then you can have this kind of fellowship that John talks about. So knowing Jesus leads to loving fellowship. It also leads to joy. But we struggle with this, don't we, as humans? We, we want to be happy, but we don't always know where to find happiness. We search the world for things that we think will make us happy. And this is what we're taught to do. You'll be happy if you make enough money. You'll be happy if you have a nice home. We're taught you'll be happy if you just have a good family, if you have a good husband or a good wife. You'll be happy if you have a good job. Maybe it's you'll be happy if you just have a lot of sex. Or you'll be happy if you do these drugs. So that's what we do. We, we go and search for these things because we want to be happy. It's a good feeling. And don't get me wrong. Some of these things are good. They're not all bad things. That's not the point. Marrying Leanne this summer is going to make me really happy. 
I can't wait for our wedding. It'll be a special day full of friends and family, photos, food, and celebration. And it's going to be great. The best part is that I get to spend it with Leanne. And that's going to be awesome because she makes me happy. And there are a lot of people out there who, who would even claim that they found happiness. You might ask people and they might say, you know, I, I'm generally pretty happy. But friends, I want to tell you that life gets a lot better than just happiness. Something that's true about everybody, all of us here, all humans, is that we all long for something greater. We have this desire, this feeling that there just must be something more out of life. It's like there's something that's missing. There's a piece of us that just isn't there. There's something that we desperately need, but we don't always know how to find it or where to go, where to go for it. But what makes life better is the joy of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus leads to complete joy. And that's point number four. Knowing Jesus leads to complete joy. This is because having a relationship with God is joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, having true joy means that no matter what's going on in your life, whether or not you're struggling because of a loss of a loved one or loss of a job, whether you are feeling successful and celebrating a good marriage or the birth of a child, no matter what you're going through, true joy is being satisfied and content in knowing Jesus and being able to praise him in all things. And here's why I can say this to you. I stand before you here today as a rotten sinner, as someone who's tried following the world's rules, as someone who said, God, I don't need you. I got this. I've disobeyed him, I've questioned him, I've turned away from him, and I've done a lot of wrong. And get this, I'm going to continue doing wrong. (laughs) It's not going to get better. I will continue to do wrong. But Jesus loved me enough that he came to this earth to be like us. He came to be a man and to die. God in the flesh came to die for me. He paid for every wrong decision and every evil action that I will ever do. And because that my sins are paid for, I am free. I am free to live my life free from guilt and shame for what I've done and who I am. Because Jesus paid for that. And also because of this, I can know him I can have a relationship with Jesus. I can love him and trust him and serve him and obey him and love him. And I can do this. I can do all of this as a child of God. My relationship with God is that he is my father and I am his child. 
This means that I can go to him for guidance, and he's going to guide me. I can run to him when I mess up, and he is going to love me. The God who created the earth, the heavens, and the stars calls me his child. And I can live praising him for that. And because I know him as my father, because I know Jesus, I can live in hope. I know that there's a day when I will spend eternity with God. I know that there's a day when evil will be defeated. And that's why that even in the darkest of times, when things are really going wrong, I and we as Christians can be joyful because our God has loved us, he loves us, and will continue to love us forever because we know Jesus, because we have life, because he died. We can have hope and rejoice. Do you know him? Being in a relationship with Jesus, it fills me with joy. I'm content and satisfied, and I can praise God in all of life. That human desire, that missing piece of me, is now filled. And friends, as I'm saying all this, I'm not, gonna, I'm not up here to pretend. Just because I know what joy is, what it feels like, that doesn't mean that I'm always joyful. I mess this up. It's so easy for me to get confused or to misunderstand just how much Jesus loves me in, in everyday life. In the busyness, it's so easy. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like me. You, you get what it means to have joy, yet you find it difficult to live joyfully. Maybe you know Jesus, but you find yourself still confused, still asking questions, still doubting, or maybe even still hurting. But friends, remember, this is why John is writing. He writes to assure his readers of the truth. He writes to remind them what knowing Jesus means. And guys, don't miss how John does this. He simply does it by telling them the truth. He tells them the truth about who Jesus is and who we are as Christians. As a Christian, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that any of you can do. There is nothing in all of eternity that will ever separate us from God's love. Calvary, would you just be assured in that this morning? Would you know about the life that you have? Know that we can know Jesus. Know that knowing Jesus means having life. Know that knowing Jesus leads to loving fellowship. Know that knowing Jesus, it leads to complete joy. He is all we need. Jesus is everything. We need a relationship with him. And we need to remind ourselves of his love for us. And how we do that? We do that through being in the word. We do that through reading our Bibles. We do that through prayer, through praying to him. We do that by reflecting his love in our fellowship and by seeing his reflected love 
in our fellowship. So friends, I hope that you're reminded today about the truth of knowing Jesus, what it means to know him. And I hope that this spurs us into action. I think we need to do three things. We need to tell each other about Jesus. And not only tell each other, but we need to tell others about him. We live in a city that is in desperate need of the gospel. We need to be his witnesses in our city. There are 200,000 people, 200,000 people who are out there dead in their sin. And we need to be the ones proclaiming life to them. This is just like what Andy challenged us with at our retreat. He said, we're the gospel church. We need to be the ones planning gospel churches so that people will come to know Christ. That's why Mile One Mission exists. That's why it's here, so that we can tell others the life that we have. And friends, we need to tell each other about Jesus, too. John is writing this letter to churches. We need to be renewed and reminded of the gospel, of knowing Jesus, how much he loves us throughout our week. If you notice that somebody's discouraged, send them a message. Let them know that you're praying for them. Ask them if there's anything that you can do to help. Let them know that God loves them. Assure them. And friends, the second thing we need to do is we need to love each other. Through knowing Jesus, united in him, we have a fellowship as Calvary Baptist. Let's love one another and develop true friendships. And what that means is it means spending time together. It means getting to know each other better. It means that we need to be honest with each other. We need to tell each other when they're wrong. And we need to do that out of love. We need to live like a family. And don't get me wrong, that can be messy. Family is messy. People are messy. Life is messy. But the gospel, Jesus unified in Christ, he can break through the messiness. Because of him, we can have that fellowship. So this week, as you're, as you're going, if you have a free night, invite somebody over for a meal. Have them over at your home. Be, ask them how they're doing. Be honest with each other about how you're doing. Don't just pretend like everything is great. If something is wrong, be open and honest with each other. And pray for one another. And lastly, church, let's rejoice. We have the key to knowing true joy by knowing Jesus. So take time this week to dwell on the gospel. Take time to read your Bibles. Take time to pray, please. And after that, take time just to thank God and rejoice for what he has done for you. Rejoice because Jesus came to earth. Rejoice because you know him. Rejoice because you have life. Rejoice because you have fellowship. Rejoice because you can have joy. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice because your sins are paid for. Rejoice because you are a child of God. Rejoice because he loves you. Rejoice because in Jesus, we have hope. 
Oh, the joy of knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, would you let us know what it means to be joyful? Would you remind us of your love for us? Jesus, would you be known among us? Would you help us to proclaim your life to our city? And Lord, I just pray that you would change us based on knowing you, that you would be working with us, that you would be sanctifying us. So God, be with us as we go out in our, in our week, in our day. Help us to be a fellowship. Help us to love one another. And help us to rejoice in all of the great things that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.